Scripture uh, comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 15, verses 22 to 39. I will read that in the ESV. We invite you to find the Scripture in a pew Bible, or if you brought a Bible app or your own Bible. Um, And just so you know, uh, we have been going through the entire Gospel of Mark, which is coming to a close. And uh, we're kind of skipping around today a little bit because uh, for Good Friday, we actually read the entire Passion Narrative. Um, and then skip to uh, the Easter passage, um, and then work backwards to the parts that we had skipped before. Uh, but I thought it was important, even though we covered uh, the Passion Narrative uh, during Good Friday, that not everyone was here for Good Friday. And so we wanted to talk about Jesus's crucifixion and read that passage. So that's what we're reading today. So may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, Today's message is called The Way of the Cross. And I I thought it was really important for us to talk about the cross and crucifixion today because it is the most enduring symbol of Christianity, right? It is, if if you want to just represent Christianity with one symbol, the cross is the way to go. And it it is uh, obviously emblazoned on most of our churches. Uh, A lot of Christians wear it for jewelry. And I, I wanted to talk about what the cross is because I think sometimes we lose the sense of what the cross would have meant back then. And the cross has become a really shiny thing, a really fancy thing. We have it in jewelry, right? Which is not a bad thing, you know, if it's gleaming and blingy, you know. But let us not forget that the cross was a form of corporal punishment, right? I heard someone say once, kind of half-jokingly, that if Jesus would have came today and lived his life, you know, with all the contemporary stuff, that we would all be wearing electric chairs 
from our necklaces and earrings and in front of our churches, right? It's kind of a weird image to think of an electric chair, right? Not very glamorous. But the cross was not a glamorous thing. It would have been a very repugnant thing, a thing that people wouldn't want to see. Do you ever see things on TV and it makes you want to turn away? You know, maybe you see like starving children or something and you're eating a huge dinner and you feel a little guilty. You're like, ah, I don't want to watch this. You know, or maybe you see some of the stuff going on in the world. Maybe you see, uh, you know, just war or, you know, crazy things going on. You, You see suffering. You see natural disasters. You see death. And you're like, oh, I don't want to see that. And you turn away, right? Like a lot of us do. And friends, it is my contention and something that I want us to think about. I don't think we are naturally drawn to the cross. I think we are naturally repulsed by the cross. And the whole idea of the cross, and and why Paul even says that the wisdom of the cross is foolishness. I mean, because who wants a cross, right? Who would want a symbol of suffering and death, right? And it is a foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is wisdom. It is the glory of God. But friends, I think that even as Christians, um, I think that we kind of sort of, you know, shy away from the cross too. I think that, that we, we don't really um, like it that much. Um, and... and We'll talk about why that might be, but I want us to take seriously this idea that we are not naturally drawn to it, that maybe there's a great temptation. And one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, go back over the cross today, um, Good Friday is one of the the least attended services for any church, just any church. Why? Because we don't like talking about suffering and death, right? Easter is the most attended church service in every church, right? The most attended, right? Because we like Easter. We, we like the resurrection. We, we like uh, all of that, that, you know, it, it's glorious, right? Like, oh, we get to live again, right? Like, like, yes, you know, conquer death. That's great. But that's the whole thing with resurrection. Live again, right? It's life after death. You have to go through death, you know? It, the thought did occur to me that we had our new sixth graders today. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be talking about like crucifixion and death today, you know. But I think it is one of those things that it's like, well, do we want to cover that up? Do we want to just kind of gloss over that and be like, oh, we're not going to talk about that? Why? Because it makes us uncomfortable. Well, it's reality. We're going to have to face it sooner than later. But maybe for us as Christians, we just like everyone else have gotten really used to running away. From the cross. So let's dive straight into this passage and talk about uh, just how scandalous this cross can be for us. Uh, so verse 22, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. It's not a pleasant sounding place, is it? <laughs> place of a skull. Hey, where are you going to go for vacation? Where are you going to go for your honeymoon? Oh, we're going to place of a skull, right? Probably not the place we would uh, willingly want to go, but this is where they brought Jesus. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Um, So this would have been a way to kind of numb the pain, but Jesus doesn't take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. 
So this is a, a very humiliating thing, isn't it? They take Jesus' clothes. And that's one of the things that I, I know in all of our depictions of, of Jesus on the cross, like he's got a loincloth, you know, very expertly placed to cover up, you know, the, 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 the parts that would be kind of hard for us to see. But the truth is, uh, as far as uh, what I've seen from scholars, is that crucifixion would have been done naked. Why? Super embarrassing, right? Like all of us, right? Like I don't think anyone wants to be caught naked. Oh, oh, like we want to cover that up. Super embarrassing. You're just, I mean, you know, come on, guys. You're just, <laughs> you're exposed. It's humiliating. And all the people would have walked by and sneered and snickered. And you see that in this passage. They're mocking Jesus. All of his dignity. The little clothes he had. Now they're, they're, they're you know, playing games of chance. They're gambling for his clothes. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Which means that they nailed him to a cross. And the idea is that you would just be out there in the elements, humiliated, and you would die a slow, painful, humiliating death. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. Again, they're mocking Jesus, right? Now, friends, um, you know, we have been talking about this all along. We need to remember, as we get to the end of this gospel, the way the gospel began, that this is a story about a king and a coming kingdom. It's not just a story about this nice man who came to just teach you nice things. And then after your nice life, now you are going to be able to, to live forever in you know, some magical paradise. Right? That's not the, the whole entirety of the story. But Jesus came to institute a new kingdom. This was insurrection in a way, not a political insurrection, as Jesus made clear when his disciples came with swords. And he's like, no, 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 put away the swords. You don't understand what kind of revolution this is. But make no mistake, he came to be king. They killed Jesus not because he healed people. They, came, they killed Jesus because they thought he was inciting insurrection, right? Trying to overthrow Caesar. And so that is why they murdered him. And so the charge would have been, hey, look, this guy claims to be king, right? And so it's a way of mocking him and also making clear why this guy was killed. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. So Jesus is up there as a criminal. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now, friends, there are three kind of groups of people who are just mocking Jesus, making fun of him. And so you've just got the passers-by, just, just everyone out there. who don't really know Jesus, but they're just around, right? And then you have the religious leaders, right? You have uh, these chief priests, the scribes, these teachers of the law, right? These people who would have been so respected and they're talking trash too, right? And then you have the criminals who are talking trash. And I want you to notice something about this entire scene. Jesus doesn't say a word. 
This is a part of the way of the cross, friends. Jesus doesn't respond. He could have. Oh, man, don't you think, like, if you were in that situation, that you had these teachers of the law, you had the chief priests, the most distinguished, the most respected religious leaders in the land, and they're being petty. They're, they're making fun of Jesus. They're mocking him, right? You know, I mean, maybe even just for a sense of justice, Jesus is like, people, look at your leaders. Look at how hypocritical they are, right? You shouldn't follow such fallen leaders. Doesn't do any of that, right? He doesn't do any of that. Well, what about the criminals? You know, Jesus could have had a nice speech, like, he who is without sin, throw the first, right? Like, they're thieves, right? Like, well, you're on the cross too, he could, have made a snark- he could have made a snarky comment, but no snarky comments came. Jesus took it all. Jesus didn't defend himself. Friends, I got to tell you, for me, this is really challenging stuff. Especially when you consider that Jesus is asking us to follow his way. I, 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 w- I wanted us to talk about the, resurre- uh, the, sorry, the crucifixion. Um, in its detail, and for us to notice what the way of the cross looked like, because I want to make it very clear, you are supposed to go on this way too. This is not very popular. And again, I want to appeal to what I talked uh, talked about before, the idea that we naturally are not drawn to the cross, and we are naturally are going to try to avoid the cross. And so one of the things that I hear often And friends, I want to be very clear. I don't think this is wrong, but this can be misinterpreted. Is that people sometimes will say this. They'll say, Jesus died on the cross, so you don't have to. Right? Now, I understand what they mean by that. What it is, is kind of an interpretation. Can we go? uh, We're going to skip ahead a few uh, slides and then come back. But uh, can we go to the part that says, so we don't have to? It's a misinterpretation of a line in in the Gospel of John. It only appears in the Gospel of John, um, where Jesus says on the cross, he says, it is finished, which is actually sort of uh, was um, a phrase that would have been used when a debt was paid. You know, uh, so it's kind of like saying paid in full, right? It is finished. There's no debt left, right? And so if you understand this properly, It is Jesus' work that is finished, right? And Jesus' work was to die on the cross for the sins of all of humanity for all time. Yes, definitely, it is finished. Yes, I cannot die for the sins of the world. So in that sense, it is true that Jesus died on the cross so I didn't have to die for the sins of the world. I can't, right? But friends, uh, I, I think that Sometimes we use this as a way of excusing the cross, right? By saying like, oh yeah, Jesus' finished work, it means that no one else has to ever die on a cross again. I think that's taking it a little too far, and it is ignoring lots and lots of scripture that says otherwise. Um, There are lots and lots of cross songs, right? And most of the cross songs you'll notice, and again, this is not bad, friends. Don't get me wrong. That this is a good sentiment, to give thanks for the cross, to praise Jesus for the cross. Nothing wrong with that, right? And, and, uh, you know, most of our songs are like that. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, right? Um, 
There, there's a, 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 I heard this said once, and I, I think this is true. Um, I, I someday want to just go through all the scripture and make sure that this is true, but it sounds true to me. Uh, someone once said, um, Jesus did not ask you to worship him, but he did ask you to follow him. Now, again, worshiping Jesus is not bad, right? When the people did worship, he didn't say, you're wrong, right? Stop it. You know, remember with the, the whole um, the entrance into Jerusalem with the Hosannas, right? He says, it, like, like the, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, they tried to stop the people from praising. And Jesus said, if, you were, if they were to stop, even the stones would cry out. It's not bad to worship. Worship is important. But sometimes we think that's the only thing, Right? And maybe sometimes talk is cheap to just say, oh, yeah, Jesus, what you did on that cross, mm, that was good. While we are super comfortable, we're super comfortable, and we can say thank you and praise you all we want from the comfort of our insulated lives. But then there are these passages. Uh, let's take a look at Philippians 3, 7 through 11. It says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And what this was, friends, um, in, earlier in Philippians 3, uh, Paul is talking about all the different kind of um, status symbols he had in his life, that he's this Pharisee and that he is just, you know, he, 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 he's just really well read on the law and just all these things like, like his tribe and, and how zealous he was and, and all of these things that you would take pride in and that you would think like, man, this is what makes me who I am. And he says, whatever gain I had, whatever uh, gains I made from achieving things in life, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now that part, I think we can all get on board with, right? Like power of resurrection, that's great. But he doesn't stop there. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection, very important stuff. Right? But there is no resurrection without death. And Paul understood that. For me to gain resurrection, then I must die. And so he wanted to become like Jesus in his death. In his death. You think Paul really meant that? You, you, you really want a humiliating death? A painful, long and drawn out death? Hmm. But friends, let's take a look at what uh, Jesus himself said. So this is Luke 9, 23 to 24. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Friends, there are a lot of ways that we want to preserve our life. I think that is why. We don't like the cross, because the cross means death. 
And friends, suffering is on that same continuum of death. It reminds us of death. It reminds us of our mortality. And so we want to stay, steer way clear of it. We don't want anything to do with suffering. That's why pretty much all of us, we seek comfort. We seek security. You know, we want to make sure that no one can kill us. We want to make sure that no harm can come from uh, come to us. That's so much of what our lives are built on, right? All of our careers, that's why we go to school, right? That's why we make all this money, so we can be more comfortable, right? So that we can have security. So we can have lots and lots of things that we want. And Jesus is saying, if you do this, if you try to save your life, if you try to get your life through the accumulation of anything, through the earning of anything, then you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And that idea of denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following me. What does that mean practically for us? Let's go back to a, a second to the, Jesus actually being on the cross and these people mocking him. Anyone ever mock you? <laughs> Anyone ever, you know, curse you? Maybe you're driving and somebody did something really rude to you. Now, my automatic response to that, without even trying, is to want to get them back, right? Is want to want to yell something back. Is to want to speed up and cut them off when they cut me off. It is automatic, right? In other words, it is a part of me, my flesh. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means to die to that part of you that is just natural, that is just going to happen, right? I saw uh, the the example of the, the leaders, right? The leaders of Israel mocking Jesus. I know for me, this is a cross that I've carried for a long time, that I've had to die to. Because there are times where I've seen my leaders, my religious leaders, let me down and fail me. You know, it happened in church. You know, I grew up in a a Korean church in Cincinnati that had this big split. It was a really ugly split. And the way that people behaved in that split, man, it was not Christian at all. And some of the leaders uh, that ended up leaving, uh, some of them were, were abusive physically, emotionally, right? Uh, They're very manipulative people. And for many, many years, I carried that. You know, I was so angry. I was so angry at the way that I was treated, you know? And that's something that I actually brought into LGM. I did. You know, there'd be times where people in the Korean ministry, especially people who are older than me, they would say something to me. And, you know, whenever I felt like it wasn't very Christian or Sometimes it wouldn't even be about that, but I felt disrespected in some way. I would lash out at them. And I felt very justified in doing that. I'd be like, hey, listen, you don't treat a pastor like that. You know? Because a lot of times I felt like they were treating me like a kid. Like, you know what? I'm a pastor. You know? And then I'm reminded of the way that Jesus acted on the cross. What would Jesus have done in the situations that I've been in? Friends, don't get me wrong. If it were comfortable, if it were automatic, then it would not be the cross. I want to say that again. If it were comfortable, if it were automatic, it would not be the way of the cross. The way of the cross is contrary to what you would naturally do. 
It is the way of dying. It is the way of suffering. But of course, it is obviously infused with the power of God. God uses those things and transforms them, right? But the thing is, when I justify myself, like let's say someone disrespects me and then I put them in their place, right? I'm the one who did all the saving in that situation. Does that make sense, right? I'm the one who justified everything, who made everything just, who made everything good. That is not the cross of Jesus Christ. That is me being the hero, right? You know? And so for us to give that up, for us to not respond in kind, say, well, they deserve it. Well, maybe they do. Yeah, it's not right. Yeah, it's not right. But who is going to be the one to ultimately redeem that? How how do we lose our lives in that situation? Because that's what Jesus says. If you try to gain your life in that situation, you will lose it. One way you'll lose it is you will just remain bitter and angry. And every time you are reminded of that, that same slight, that bitterness and anger will keep coming up. You will never be freed from it, right? In that way, you will lose your life, right? That's one of the things that I realized. Uh, our current senior pastor, Reverend Cho, is this incredibly humble man. And he has been so healing for my relationships uh, with Korean ministries. Um, but when he came in, I, I remember one of the first times I met Reverend Cho, um, I felt like he was saying something condescending to me. And I got all defensive. And I was like, look, you don't know what I've been through, man. You know, don't treat me like this. And he was like, Pastor Steve, Hey, I get there's some hurt in you. I'm not that person who hurt you. I'll never forget that. He said, I'm not the person who hurt you. And, and he just said, I'll pray for your healing. And that made me super mad. Oh my gosh, I was like, we need my healing. You need to heal. But this is the thing. He wasn't the one who hurt me. But he reminded me of the person who hurt me. And so I was chained to that. My relationship with the church was was suffering because of that. And that is something that I needed to experience, the way of the cross again. I needed to surrender that. I needed to die to that. Friends, there may be all kinds of things that we face in this life that are unpleasant, (laughs) that we wouldn't want, that we wouldn't choose. But isn't it this kind of weird thing in life that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, when they are raising their kids, they want to make them super comfortable, right? I, I know I, I'm that way. You know, you want to give your kids everything. But isn't it that for many of us, the, the times that define us most, that has made us who we are, are times of suffering, right? Those are where you've learned life's greatest lessons. Those are where you've learned just where you end, where you could not do certain things. It was, certain, it was really, really important for you to recognize that. Sometimes when we are younger, we think we can do anything. There's this youthful arrogance about us. We're like, oh man, I got this. I, I got this. I, I, I can do whatever I want. It's really important to, for us to learn what you cannot do. And when it comes to God, it is really important for us to recognize that we are not God. We are finite. We have limits. 
There are many things that we just have to cry out, God, I cannot take this on my own. I cannot overcome this on my own. I cannot figure this out on my own. You know, and, and I don't need to justify it. I don't need to uh, make that person understand. I just need to surrender it. And, and the funny thing, too, is that many of us, I mean, if you were to ask us, not only, you know, were the times that were most important in shaping us, times that were most difficult, times of suffering, you know, times of struggle. But many of us, if you were to ask us, hey, if you could go back in a time machine and change that, would you? You'd probably say no, wouldn't you? You'd probably say no. Why? Because that has made you who you are. Right? Now, this is not a message to say, just go headlong into suffering for no reason whatsoever. Right? I mean, there are some times where people have to go headlong into suffering. Right? Soldiers, the military, they go headlong into suffering, hopefully, right? You know, into war, into difficult circumstances, and they do that for a reason, right? There may be times where we are asked to do that, but this is one of the things, friends. Whether or not you choose suffering, suffering will choose you. You're just going to suffer. You're going to go through difficult times. There are going to be difficult people in your life. And the more we run from those things, maybe we are running from the power of resurrection as well. You're running from crucifixion, but if you run from crucifixion, you're also running from the power of resurrection. What we see with Jesus was, he doesn't really do anything fancy here. He just dies. He, he doesn't answer with snarkiness. He, he, he doesn't rebuke the people who are uh, wronging him. He doesn't try to fix them. He simply gives up his life. Let's take a, we're going to go back and look at the end of this passage. And so we find that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And we're told the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We talked about this on Good Friday, but this was very symbolic um, for one, the curtain uh, of the temple was what divided uh, the inner sanctum of the temple from the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place in the temple. Only one person could go in there, the high priest, and he could only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, right? There were many, many places in the temple where uh, a lot of people could not go, but this was the place that was supposed to be the most sacred where the presence of God was. And by tearing the curtain was a symbolic way of God saying, there is no separation between me and you. There is no separation between sacred and secular. Right? And this is one of the real important things for us in life, is to realize that God wants to bring all that is sacred into our lives. But for most of us, we live, uh, as I mentioned last week, as practical atheists, as if God was not there. And so when we suffer, that seems like an independent thing. We're just like, this is horrible. This stinks. I don't like this, right? But what happens if the curtain has truly been torn? Then God is a part of that too. God is not separate from your suffering, from the difficulties you go through in life. Jesus is right there with you in all of it. 
And, and it's just kind of a, another cute thing to notice that when the curtain was torn in two, it was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because the only person who could tear it from top to bottom is God. He made a way for us to be with him. But he also made a way for us, for God to be with us in this world, in whatever we are going through. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now remember, Jesus didn't preach a sermon, right? He, he didn't perform a discernible miracle, right? He wasn't like multiplying bread and fish up there, right? He was up there. And by the way, like he cried out something that was kind of weird. You know, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, this is a very strange thing. Um, but Jesus was quoting scripture, but at the same time, he was quoting a psalm. And in many of the psalms, that they're not just psalms of praise, but almost equally to the number of psalms of praise are psalms of lament. A lament is just saying what is on your heart, especially when it's hard. A, a lament is like when, when you've had a tough day and someone asks you, and, and you know, they're like, hey, how was your day? You know, uh, a lot of us want to cover that up and we're like, oh, day was fine. What happened? Nothing. But maybe it really was a hard day. You know, maybe you have a journal and you write that. You write in specific detail how bad it was and how much you didn't want to go through that. That, friends, is a lament. That is what you can bring before God. That is exactly what Jesus did when he was on the cross. What he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, we talked about this last week. There, were, there was a part of Jesus that did not want to die on that cross. Who would? Who would want to go through that? And yet, he surrendered his will. He surrendered his will. Not what I want, but what you want, God. Right? This is the way of the cross, friends. This is the way of the cross. To die to yourself. What is the self? We talked about this last week too, the flesh. And the definition I gave you for flesh was the, the, the you that exists apart from God. The you that exists apart from God. You know, we talk about sinful desires and that sort of thing. And that's right. That's true. But what is that about? It's about what you want when you want it. And that's the way all of us live, almost all the time. Almost all of our decisions are based on what you want, when you want it, right? And sometimes it is like when you're in traffic and that person cuts you off. And what you want to do right then and right there and then is yell at that person. That's what you want to do, right? That's what your flesh wants in that moment. You want revenge, right? And so you get revenge. So you cry out, you yell at them, you curse at them, you put up your middle finger, you do something... Not out of a Christ nature. You do it because that's what your flesh wanted to do. When you go home and you figure out, hey, what do I want to do today? Uh, almost all of that is done out of your flesh nature. What do I want to do with my money, with my time, with my life, with my career? Right? And so much of America is built on that. 
That's what our whole country is about. Don't tell me what to do. I get to do whatever I want. That's freedom. It's not really freedom, friends. Because let's just use the example of the person, you know, being wronged in traffic. Maybe there's a part of you that knows for me to just lash out in anger is just not the right thing. I mean, for one, you know, maybe I'll do something dangerous and I'll get in an accident. I don't want that. I don't want to total my car. But also, I don't want to be stuck with all that bitterness and anger. You know, there are times where that happens to me. And for the next two hours, I'm thinking about what, what just happened. I'm thinking about what I could have done better. I'm thinking about how that person was a big jerk and I wish they weren't a big jerk, right? I can't fix any of that. All that is in the past. But for the next two hours, I'm just plagued by it. I'm a slave to it. I can't give it up even if I wanted to, right? Are are there any of you that have trouble sleeping sometimes? Do you ever have trouble sleeping? You know, maybe some of you uh, have used this phrase before. I can't turn off my brain. I can't turn off my brain. I can't stop thinking, right? Or maybe there's a compulsion. There's something that you feel like you want to do that night. And man, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. You're going to watch that video. You're going to play that game. You're going to do whatever. Friends, it feels like you you decided to do it, but you decided to do it because that's what you wanted to do. That's what your flesh wanted, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Desires are not always bad. Desires can be a very good thing. But desires make horrible masters, right? And for many of us in Christ, there is going to be that war. There is going to be that battle between what I want to do in my flesh, what I really feel like doing, and what I know God wants me to do. And that is what the Christian life is all about. That's what it means to follow Christ, to die to those things that I might naturally want to do so that I can do the better things that God wants me to. You know, Maybe there's an occasion where you need to forgive someone. In your flesh, you really don't want to forgive that person. You know, maybe God is calling you to go see that person. See them face to face and apologize. Swallow your pride. You're like, hey, you know what? I I did some wrong too. You know, or you you forgive them or you ask for forgiveness. I guarantee your flesh is not going to want to do that. That's not going to feel good, right? Your flesh is going to want to do the exact opposite. Hey, let's just forget this happened. Oh, I'm sure God forgives me in some, you know, some spiritual sense. But what does it mean to go the way of the cross? Would mean for you to learn to do that even when you don't want to. This is a death, friends. And it is a death, as it says in um, Luke 9 uh, that we read. It is a death that we have to endure every day. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is another way that we misinterpret the whole it is finished business, right? Yes, Jesus only needs to to die once, but you need to die every day. You need to die every day, not to carry the sins of the world. You can never do that, right? That is finished for sure. But your flesh acts up every day, doesn't it? It's always what I want and when I want to do it, right? And in that sense, you must die every day. Um, There was a time in my life uh, when I was in Korea, 
And I was there for a year, and it was one of the hardest times in my life. Um, I, I just want to show you a picture of, uh, this is not a picture I took, but this is just a street in Seoul in the winter. This probably would have been around the time that I went through this. Um, I was in Korea for a full year. The first four months were fantastic. I was like, oh my gosh, I love Korea. Like, like I can eat cheap Korean food that tastes really good. I can norebang every night. You know, this is fantastic. You know, I can just hang out with my friends and, you know, it, it was so fun. About four months into it, it started to wear on me a lot. You know, it's so crowded and polluted and uh, people are always bumping into you like on the street and in the subway. And I started to feel extremely lonely. I, I honestly didn't know exactly what it was, but I was very, very depressed. And it, it was a really, really dark period in my life. And I came across this song that um, I actually want to play for you guys in a moment. We're going to put the lyrics up here. And I would just walk around the streets of Seoul, and I would just listen to this song again and again and again. Um, <laughs> this song, by the way, is not a very popular song. You probably never heard of it. It's called The Way of the Cross. Um, like I said, friends, I mean, not that this really means anything, but it's just kind of interesting to me. Um, uh, th this is a song uh, by Matt Redman. Uh, and it's called The Way of the Cross, right? Um, this song is not very popular. On the same album, he has a song called Thank You for the Cross. That song is very popular. <laughs> People love that song, right? But I think like, like on his official YouTube channel, there's like less than a thousand hits. You know, like, like any Cardi B song that comes out, there'll be 10 million hits in one day, right? This is not a popular song, right? People don't like hearing about the way of the cross. But for me, it was very like oddly comforting, you know, as I was going through a time of great suffering and loneliness. And I, I wish I could tell you some great story about how I overcame it, you know, how I snapped out of it or how I behaved heroically. But I don't have a story like that. Just for a few months, I would just roam the streets of Seoul, listen to this song, sometimes cry, <laughs> sometimes just think about just how awful things were. But also to know that, you know, there was something in that that was important. That God wasn't abandoning me in that moment as I was walking around with this overwhelming loneliness and depression. Jesus' cross touched that moment, and I understood that. And I was understanding, I was starting to learn how to surrender that part of me that kept fighting what was happening. That part of me that's like, mm, no, I'm not going to suffer. No, no, suffering, no good. Mm, no, I'm going to run from this. I'm going to distract. I'm going to numb. I'm going to anesthetize. I'm going to use drugs or alcohol. I'm going to do whatever it takes to not feel this pain, but instead to just feel it and know maybe this is something I need to go through. And maybe as I go through this, I can understand God is certainly with me. So I just want to go through the, the lyrics of the song real quick. It says, show me the way of the cross once again, denying myself for the love that I've gained. Everything's you now. Everything's changed. It's time you had my whole life. You can have it all. Yes, I resolve to give it all. Some things must die. 
Some things must live. Not what can I gain, but what can I give? If much is required when much is received, then you can have my whole life. Jesus, have it all. I've given like a beggar, but lived like the rich and crafted myself a more comfortable cross. Matt Remnant's a really good writer, by the way. Yet what I am called to is deeper than this. It's time you had my whole life. You can have it all. Yes, I resolve to give it all. Some things must die. Some things must live. Not what can I gain, but what can I give? If much is required when much is received, then you can have my whole life. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have it all. I just want to give us a moment to just kind of reflect on this. And maybe, friends, you are going through a tough time in your life. I want to encourage you not to run from that, not to distract, not to numb, not to make excuses, not to fight it, but again to surrender to the reality that this is what you're going through. And, you know, friends, with the whole, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's nothing wrong with lamenting. There's nothing wrong with crying out and saying, God, this is hard. I don't like this. I don't like this one bit. But that, friends, is not running. That, friends, is going through, taking up your cross. And so I want to encourage you to do that, to pray in whatever way that you may be led to pray. And then we're going to sing this song together. So let us pray, friends. You can uh, join in this song. Um, it, like I said, it wasn't a super popular song, so it might be kind of hard to follow along to. But if you want to, um, you can follow along. If you don't want to, just listen and, and maybe just read the words for yourself.
forget Everything's you now Everything's changed It's time you had my whole life You can have it all Yes, I must die some things must live not what can I gain but what can I give if much is required then much is received that you can have my whole life Jesus has a beggar, but live like the rich, and crafted myself a more comfortable cross, what I have called to is deeper than this, it's time you for the benediction. As we go from this place, may the love of God the Father, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of us now and forever. Go in peace, friends.